0: Wouldn't be complete without our uh, review from last week, would it? So, first question: On what day did Jesus die? Thursday, not Friday. Now, a lot of people, and this is what we were talking about, and then some questions came up as well um, during the week uh, about what. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot to turn that off, Brother Mike. <laughs> um, A lot of people think that Jesus Christ died on Friday, A, because of Black Friday during the Holy Week, and B, because in the Bible, it says that the very next day after he died was a Sabbath. So uh, the Lord Jesus Christ actually died on a Thursday around three o'clock, but when... The next day was indeed a Sabbath, but it was not their regular Sabbath. Their regular Sabbath is Friday night to Saturday night. The next day was a Sabbath because the next day was the first day of the feasts of unleavened bread. So he died on a Thursday, which was right slam dunk on Passover the very next day after Passover is always the first day of the day of unleavened bread. So it's what you called a high Sabbath. It, a high Sabbath is not their regular Saturday Sabbath, but it's a Sabbath that's on a different day. So he died Thursday, Sabbath, then the regular Saturday Sabbath, and then he rose again. So that's why it, it just doesn't make sense. How, how could he die on Friday, be, be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights and rise again on, on Sunday? That just, the math just doesn't work. So, number two, when Jesus died, his, blo- his body, body went to blank, where? The grave. the grave, all right? His body went to the grave and it was Joseph of Arimathea's grave, that's why you would hear, it's not even his own grave, that's why you would hear preachers say, uh, he went to a borrowed tomb, right, his spirit went to, back to God, to heaven, he said, Father, into thy hands I command my spirit, and then his soul went to hell, right, <gasps> he went to hell, oh no, well, remember we talk about what he did over there, uh, and what was in hell. So he went there to preach to the spirits that, that are in prison. And also he went there to talk, uh, to fulfill his promise to uh, the, the thief that was on the, on the side of his cross when he says, uh, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. So I'm glad you guys are listening. Praise God. Romans chapter number eight, verse 15 to 16. And this is our text for today. The Bible says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of what? Adoption. adoption. So, needless to say, the term adoption is in the Bible. Okay? Whereby we cry, Abba, Fa- Father. The spirit itself beareth it witness with our spirit that we are the what? Adoption. Children of God. <laughs> so, needless to say, the term children of God, the truth of, the, of us being children of God is also in the Bible. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your words. And we ask, dear God, that you would open our hearts and minds and, and just set ourselves aside. There's a lot of things that are maybe... Uh, distracting us in our minds and our hearts, but help us to just set that aside, dear God, for now, and and just focus on your words. May everything that is said and done bring honor and glory to your name and you alone. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. There there are two basic types of ways to translate the Bible. Uh, And I'm not going to go deep into the details of it. The two basic types is A, dynamic equivalence and B, formal equivalence. Dynamic equivalence, to sum it all up, just so we're quick here. Dynamic equivalence means thought for word. When you translate something, you translate the thought for word, not word for word, which is formal equivalent. equivalence. The, uh, an example is this. Say, for example, a missionary goes to an island And his desire is to translate the word of God into their dialect or into their language. So he comes to this verse that says, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world, praise God, or the sin of the world. He comes to that verse and he wants to translate that to their language. And then he looks around and he says, Oh man, there are no lambs or there are no sheep in this island So they don't have a word for sheep or lambs in this island. So he says to himself, how do I translate that to their language? Well, so he looked around and all they can see, all he can see is swine, pork, pig. So he says maybe dynamic equivalence, thought for word is he says something like this. Well, maybe I can translate it to something they understand. The thought is there anyway. So I'm going to translate it Behold, the pig of God which taketh away the sin of the world. That's kind of blasphemy, isn't it? Because that's God, the Lord Jesus Christ is the lamb of God, not the pig of God. Word for word, on the other hand, is just them taking, is just the missionary taking that word and then transliterating it and teaching the tribe's people or the inhabitants of that country or that island what a lamb is and then translating it to lamb as much as he can. Now, what does that have to do with this? There's actually right now in the Philippines a problem with one verse and that verse there's a problem with many verses all throughout the world, but this verse is just what I want to bring to the forefront of our mind. Remember John 1, 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Now, the problem is, so when people, when people uh, translate it there, and I've talked to some people, I, have, I had some friends back then, who were actually translating from English to Tagalog, uh, which is the language of the Philippines over there. And he said that, man, I just can't get a break because every time I get to John one twelve, I translate it to sons because that's what the English said and not children. But then when I put it out to the printers or let the churches see what I did, some of the feminists would say, hey, what about us? See the problem there now? Now, here's some points to ponder. What, is, there a differ, is there a difference between the words children and sons? How about this? Think about this. All... All, child, all sons are children, right? But not all children are sons. Why? Because some children are daughters. See? So, things that are different, you ready for this deep theological truth? Things that are different are not the same. <laughs> Amen? Amen? Things that are different are not the same. So there must be a reason why God used the word sons instead of children. So second question, if we really are God's children, then who is our father? Of course, the answer is God, right? Third question to ponder. If we are adopted then who is our father? Right? Do you see why this becomes a problem now? Wait, the Bible does have the truth of adoption. Adoption is in the Bible, yes. Us being children of God is also in the Bible, yes. But if we're only adopted, that means, yes, we are in the family of God, but our real father is somebody else. Right? Did you see the the problem there? So let's first put all of that aside and say this. Because we believe that there is no mistake in the Bible, are we children of God? Yes. Let's set that aside. Let's nail that down. Are we also adopted? Yes, because it's in the Bible. Let's nail that down. Well, then how do we explain it? Man, I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. So we're gonna look at we're gonna look at three questions today. The first one is our our title, are saved people really God's children or are we just adopted? Okay, so adoption in the Bible is different from modern day adoption. So we know now that when we adopt in modern day adoption, we go to an adoption center and or people go to an adoption center and then you know, adopt somebody who's not really their child, right? Somebody who has a different mother or a different father. That's what modern day um, adoption means. But see, the, the thing is, when this is the reason why dynamic equivalence cannot work, that kind of translation, it has to be translated word for word. God has a reason why the word sons is used. Because the, uh, uh, well, Look at that verse that we were that verse that we were just reading over here, verse fifteen. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption. Pay attention now, whereby we cry, "Daddy." Is that what it says? Where da- whereby we cry, "Pops." Is that what it says? No, it says whereby we cry, "Abba, Father." The verse does not say dad or daddy or pop or papa or vader or father or patri for Latin or pare or otosan for Japanese or baba for Africans or Tatai or ama for Tagalog. It does not say any of that. It says Abba, father. What's next? Romans 9 verse 3 and 4. This is Paul talking about the nation of Israel. So here's a parenthetical uh, chapter about the nation of Israel in the book of Romans. Verse 3, For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. Watch this. Who are we talking about? Israelites. To whom pertaineth the, what? Adoption. So, the Bible says, if we're talk, when we're talking about the word adoption in the Bible, we don't, we don't approach the Bible with our modern-day uh, frame of mind. We don't approach the Bible with our cultural reference. We approach the Bible with what the Bible defines the term to be. You see that? Now, so... When we, um when we talk about the, the word adoption, we look at how the Israelites define, or the Bible defines it, and God defines it by giving us example with how the Israelites did it in the Bible times, right? So, question number one, are saved people children of God? Yes. Are saved people given the spirit of adoption? Yes. Question number two. Well, question number two says, or over here is what is the doctrine of the Bible? What, uh, what is the doctrine of adoption according to the Bible? Well, the doctrine of adoption, first of all, talks about sonship and inheritance. That's why the term doctrine of adoption of sons. Why? If we approach the Bible with our modern Thinking or our cultural frame of mind. I'm not sure how it is over here, but help me out a bit. Who gets the inheritance most of the time? The sons. I think in modern day, modern times, it everyone's everything's divided equally, right? In the Philippines, <laughs> in the Philippines, there are some families who only give inheritance to the favorite child. Is is, is that like that here too? No, not so much? Yeah, there there will be war if that happens. In some countries, the firstborn gets a huge inheritance. The secondborn gets some inheritance. The thirdborn gets a basket of inheritance. And the youngest one gets a thank you card for attending the funeral. (laughs) Of course, I'm just joking aside, but I'm saying that's what happens when we approach the Bible with the modern frame of mind. Now, in the nation of Israel, in the Bible, the only one that gets the inheritance is the firstborn son. Ah, there we are. Doctrine of adoption of sons. That's why it's talking about sonship and inheritance. Remember in Genesis chapter number 25, who was, uh, who was Isaac's two children? Remember? His two sons. Jacob and Esau. Exactly. And remember, who was the older one? Esau. He held the birthright. And Jacob loved him because he was the firstborn. And he loved eating of, of uh, Esau's curry goat. <laughs> curry venison. Now, um, one day, Esau was so tired from hunting and he came back and he saw Jacob cooking a pot of lentils. And he said, uh, and, and the Bible says in Genesis 25 verse 31, um, and Jacob said, sell me, uh, he said, can I have some of your soup? Jacob said, oh, oh, hold on, if, I, if you want some of my soup, sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, behold, I am at the point to die. And what profit shall this birthright do to me? Now, that'll, that'll preach right there. We don't have the time, but, but can you imagine? Judas sold the Lord Jesus Christ for how many pieces of silver? 30 pieces of silver. This guy sold out his birthright for a bowl of soup. Let's not sell the Lord Jesus Christ or our Bible for anything. Amen. And then what happens next? Uh, and Jacob said, swear to me this day. And he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus, Jake, uh, thus Esau despised the birthright. So Esau, desp- uh, Esau sold his birthright. And so now, because he sold it, his inheritance transferred to to Jacob, who was the younger one, right? So that the first thing that that doc, the doctrine of ado, or, or the doctrine of adoption of sons talks about is a sonship and inheritance. B, it talks about the difference between a child and a son in the Bible. Look at this in Galatians chapter number four, verse one to seven. The Bible says, "Now I say that the heir." As long as he is a child, so he is the heir, all right? He is the heir. So he's supposed to have a high status, but he's still a little baby. Can you imagine just the princes, the, the, the monarchs of, of countries like England or something like that? Can you imagine the uh, the crown prince being a baby and just the nannies who are servants being You know, taking care of those little, I imagine maybe like little toddlers. The prince may be a a toddler and he's playing around with the servant. And the servant says, ha, you can't beat me up right now. You're just a toddler. But not when he's a grown prince, right? So the Bible says, the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all. Someday he's going to be Lord of all. Someday when his father dies and the inheritance goes to him, he's going to be the master of the house. But not yet. Why? Because he's still a child. But is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world, but when the fullness of time oops, sorry but when the fullness of time is come. Was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. Watch it. Watch it. That we, who's that talking to? All of us over here, right? Right? Male and female. Male and female. We, what? Receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God had sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So let's 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 look let's go back to that verse and kind of just review it here. A child, even if he's the Lord of all, even if he's an heir, is no different from a servant. Why? Servants have rules, right? Servants have punishments. Little children have rules, even if they are the prince. Don't go out and play with these children and, or don't, don't, don't do this and don't do that. Hold your fork correctly. Uh, Make sure you conduct yourself as a prince. They're being trained as they're growing up, as they're still a little child, right? Just like servants, they have rules. Next, just like a servant, a child has, has governors, has limits, and has boundaries. Next, there is a time when the father declares him no longer a child, but a son. And that's why modern day right now, they still do it right now the Jews right now, modern day Jews, they have a period in a boy's life when he is declared no more a child but a son and because of that, he already has the full rights and responsibilities of a son. Can you name what that is? Bar- bar mitzvah. Yeah. He is not, when he is... Con- when he is declared as a son, he is no longer one of the servant or like one of a servant. He is now the heir. Right? So it talks about sonship inheritance. It talks about the difference between a child and a son. And it also talks about our final inheritance. It also talks about our final inheritance. Romans chapter number 8, verse 22 to 23. I'm just going to read it over t- for you, and you can, you can follow me if you want in your Bibles. But the Bible says, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until, until now, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption of the Bible describes, defines what that is. To wit, the redemption of our bodies. Right? So, the Bible des- defines what the adoption is, and it says the redemption of our bodies. Can you tell me when that is? When is our body going to? Right now, we're redeemed. Right now, we are saved. But there's coming a time when our bodies is going to be changed into that of in, corruptible bodies. Can you tell me when that's going to happen? In the rapture, when the Lord Jesus Christ catches us away. Now, the Bible describes that that is actually the, or defines the word adoption as that, okay? In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14, verse 13 and 14, is my verse up here yet? That's okay. Don't worry about it. Let's not... um, Let's not focus on that. Verse number 13 says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, you were sealed with the, watch this, the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance. You know why I like the Bible? Because I love the words that are used on there. Right now, it's called... Down payment. But it used to be called earnest money. Have you heard that before? Well, I want to buy that, but I can't give you the whole amount right now. Well, I'm going to give you an earnest money, an earnest payment as a sign that I'm going to grab that, I'm, I'm going to purchase that when the time comes. So God says, hey, listen, this is the earnest of our inheritance. The Holy Spirit is like the down payment. God says, all right, you're still in the world, but I'm going to give you an earnest money, an, a down payment, if you will. Whew, this is where it's getting excited. Excite, exciting. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, the earnest of our inheritance. And that inheritance is when we get to the catching away in the rapture and God finally purchased that body, this body of ours. So, here's the answer. Here's the answer about this adoption and are we really adopted? Are we child of are we the child of God? Are we adopted? The summary of it all and then we're done. When someone puts his faith in Christ, he becomes a child of God. Amen. But that's all late, you know, that's all male and female. He becomes the child of God. Whoever we are, if you, whoever you are, if you, when you put your faith in Christ, you become a child of God. But because in the biblical system, only the firstborn son gets the inheritance and God says, I want all my children to get the inheritance. He says, I'm also going to adopt them as sons. Whether you are a male or a female. Whew! See, can I? That, that's why there are so many wonderful, amazing things that God does when, uh, right at the moment that we get saved. And so my mind takes me back to, to my friend who says, Man, I can't get a break because I'm translating and everyone wants to say just children, not sons. And I told them, Well, listen, there is a doctrine behind why the Bible uses sons. And just tell them, Hey, I can change this to sons. Well, he can't change it to sons because he, or to, to, to children because he's not supposed to take away from God's word. But he said, But do you as a child want the, that inheritance or not? Of course we want that inheritance. That's why God wants us to have that inheritance. That's why us as children, regardless if we're a male or a female, God says, I'm going to adopt everyone as a son. And you know what happened after that? Now we are heirs with Christ. Not only that, exactly, co-heirs in Christ. Amen. So, did that explain the, the doctrine of adoption of sons? Nowadays, they don't talk about it anymore. A lot of churches don't talk about it anymore. So number three, and then we're done. What does the doctrine of adoption of sons mean, to, mean for me right now? You don't know, have to go there, but 1 Corinthians 13 verse 11 says, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Think with me for a second. The church, which is the body of Christ, God sees them as sons. God sees us as sons, right? The nation of Israel, although they were also called the sons of God, and he actually, God actually told Pharaoh, Moses would say, God said, let my, my children go. But when God talked to Pharaoh that one time, he said, let my son go. But because of the way Israel acted, God said they're not my son anymore. And then, so Israel was treated as little children. That's why they have the law. That's why they have rules. And that's why they get chastised if they, they, they don't do it. The rule if they don't do their laws or the rules. Now, right now, as the body of Christ, which is under grace, hey. If you do something, you don't lose your salvation. Amen? So, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Number two, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20. I like this verse. Um, Brethren, be not children in understanding. Howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be ye children men. Ooh, cool. Thank you, sir. In malice, be children, but in understanding, be men. When it comes to bad things, what are children? Children just don't know. They're innocent, right? But when understanding, be men. What else? Galatians 4, 3. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Now we're not in bondage anymore. Don't Act like we are still under the law or like you're under the law, amen. God has given us grace, and so right now, how do I say this? You know, remember when I said that I don't want to be an extortionist as a, a extortioner as a pastor? <laughs> you know there are pastors right now who are pastors of children. When children has to be scared to do something, <laughs> or given a reward to do something, right now some people still live in Malachi three ten. In order for them to give, they're afraid. If I don't give, pastors would scare them to death. If I don't give, God might might might. Uh, might get my tithe by sending me to the hospital or something like that. Have you heard that before? I've heard that before. But God said right now, "Hey, be men." As uh, in our understanding, God loveth a cheerful giver. Um. Next verse. Ephesians 4.14, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. By the way, I just thought about this. I was in a church before. I'm not going to tell you where it was, but the pastor was so, he was definite. For lack of a better word, he was a tyrant. (laughs) And he said, brother so-and-so, I know you haven't given your tithe for two months now and so you owe the church two sacks of rice in the service. <laughs> That's being a pastor of children. Why? Because children has to be scared. So, because children operate within fear or motivation or motivation of rewards just like servants. Not right now with us. You give because God wants you to give. Amen. You give because you want to give. Remember, in our Bible reading, you read not because Brother Francis is forcing you to read. You read because you love the Word of God. You come to church because you love the fellowship and want to hear the Word of God. Amen. I don't want to be an extortioner. Please don't let me do that. (laughs) All right. So, uh, just quickly in the chart, the motivation of children and servants is rewards. The motivation of sons is fellowship. I'm not going to do I'm not going to do this because I want a reward. I want to come to church because I want to be with everyone. The governance law of children, law for servants, if you do this I'm, I'll pay you. If you don't if you do this I'll whoop you. Children same thing, but sons we have liberty in Christ. Amen. Last but not the least, our responsibility. For servants and children, children and servants, if, they, if you, you ask them to do something, they'll do it. If they don't feel like it, they'll just leave. Sons will do it even if it, they don't feel like it anymore. One story and then we're done. And I'm not even going to get there. Remember, remember the story of the parable of uh, the, the vineyard and the, the guy who owned the vineyard went to a faraway land. And then the people who were manning the vineyard kind of just took over the vineyard. And then so the owner sent his messenger. The first guy got killed. The second guy got killed. Then the third time he said, you know what, I'm just gonna send my son. Why? Because they will hear him. They will reverence him. Remember remember that story? Remember over here in uh, Mark, uh, sorry, in, in Matthew Sorry, that happened again. That's okay. In Matthew 17, verse 5, in the Mount of the Transfiguration, God spoke when the Lord Jesus Christ kind of just shone there. He said, While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Last but not the least, the mark of a full-grown responsible son and heir is if he is a good ambassador or representation of his father. The father sent his son to the vineyard because he knows that the son speaks for me. And that is actually what happened in the cross of Calvary. God did not coerce a baby Jesus to go, you're going to die whether you like it or not. This is for my people because we love them. You're going to get crucified whether you like it or not. God did not do that. The picture is Isaac. Remember Isaac? When Abraham was going to sacrifice him and he said, God will provide himself a lamb. When there is no record in the Bible whatsoever that when Abraham bound him up, that he pushed back. Nope. Just like a meek little lamb, Isaac, Isaac allowed his father to bind him up. Same thing with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ went and gave his life. He was not coerced to give his life for us. Same thing. If we are sons and the Bible sees, as the Bible describes the church, which is the body of Christ as sons, then our responsibility is to speak as an ambassador for the father. Are you a good representation of your father? Or are we still children? Do you think that owner of the vineyard would send a little child over there to confront the wicked servants? Of course not. Mm, You know what? I'm going to kind of go a little bit further here and you may not like this, but I'm also talking to myself. So please bear with me. Are you a better representation of the message of your political party or of God's message? Can you speak with liberty the message? that God gave you to share to other people? Or are you more comfortable speaking the message of your political party? That hurts, huh? I'm saying, please please bear with me because I'm also speaking to myself. The Bible sees us as sons. We became children, but because God wants all of us to have the inheritance, he says, I'm going to adopt them all as well as sons so they can have that inheritance. Let's be good sons. Amen. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your, for your love. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us. I pray, Father, that this is a little bit of a difficult message to share, but I pray that you would help us to be a good representation of you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.